Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Are you as excited as I am about walking through this incredible adventure of the book of Revelation? Amen? Amen. Okay. If you are sitting at the back, it's always good, unless you have to, to come nearer to the speaker. It makes their job a little easier. And uh, I think you've, most of you have done that. Some of you are utterly rebellious and choose to live outside the parameters of the blessing of God. But that's your choice. Um, I thought it would be really good just to pray um, and just ask the Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts and open our souls to the fullness of the truth of God's Word. Would that be okay? Yeah, Father, we, we pause for a moment before all we will hear to know that the one that will be speaking to us tonight is you. You love to communicate, Lord, and you have so much to show us, so much to reveal to us. So we pray our hearts would be receptive. May the garden of our heart be soil that can be fully planted and impregnated by the truth of your word, Lord. Father, we pray for your servant tonight, Pastor Vic, as he leads us, Lord, just let the anointing flow as it always does through his life, Lord. And Lord, let there be fresh things happen in him and through him as he speaks. There are always new things in you for us to discover. And Lord, we just commit ourselves to this process of engagement with your word, Lord. And we know your word is life to us. So Father, we ask you to do all that you can do. And we'll be as present as we can be. And as attentive of heart and soul and spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. So why don't you welcome Vic? He's going to come. Thanks, Simon. It's all right. I think I might be... Uh... Do you want to come down here? Yeah. If I speak without the microphone, would you hear me? Mark? Come and sit down in the front, mate. All right. I'll use the microphone then just to uh, help. Thanks, Simon. <coughs> You know, um, the book of Revelation, we were asked to have a look at that because the days we're living in, you know, I've lived long enough to see um, that these days are days which I've never seen in my life before. And I think really most of us and our generation will tell you that. I was born just after the Second World War. I know I don't look like as if I did, but I did. And, um, and lived through the 50s, but these days are all days. There is nothing certain. It seems as if everything is shaking. You know, you don't know what's going to come next. And there doesn't seem to be a place on the face of the earth where there isn't a problem. Even where there's no people like, you know, hardly Antarctica. Well, they're melting, you know, <laughs> so they tell us. So all over the world, there is sort of this nervousness, not sure about what the future holds. And that's where, you know, because Simon said, do the book of Revelation and just help us to see that there's a firm foundation. Because after all, God is in control. He, he knows what's happening. All this is for his purpose and design. I've got like this uh, quote that I keep in the little office I've got at home. And it just says, don't be concerned about tomorrow. God is already there. You know, and he is, isn't he? So let's go ahead on that basis. So with Revelation, last book in the Bible, let's assume tonight that there's a brand new Christian 
in and amongst us and we need you know to make sure that that person whoever that may be understands what we're saying now i don't mind in fact i do like if somebody just puts their hand up and says don't understand that mate you know you you need to tell us a little bit more clearly about that and maybe i'll say to you well i don't know you know anybody who says they know it all they're telling lies i tell you but i love the bible you know i've when i was saved as a, a young fella um i took to the bible straight away and 55 years i've read the bible avidly i love it you know we all have our ministries don't we uh, some find their ministry in prayer now i can pray but tell you if they say pray for an hour you know i'd find that difficult but other people would say well i could do that quite easy so you know we've all got our different ministries but I know, you know, what mine is certainly, and that is that I love the Word of God. But even though I read it through and through and through, yesterday I was reading something and I'd never seen it before. Now, you know, am I thick? Or was, but no, the Bible has this sort of sense where there's depths. You know, you, you, you see what the context is and then suddenly a word will catch you and you think I hadn't seen that before but it made all the difference you know that type of thing like where Paul says that we're workers together with God and I suddenly stopped I looked at the word surely that's wrong that should be we're workers together for God oh you know you'd think that wouldn't you but it isn't it's we're workers together with God. And, and something like that can just catch your attention. So I thought, right, I'll put that down. I'll make a sermon and give it. It'll take about an hour to get through it, you know, that type of thing. But no, that's what the scriptures are like. They're, you know, they're amazing. Anyway, <clears throat> we're going to try to do this in six sessions. So if we do this once every two weeks the last one will be on december the 6th and then you either give me a present or i'll give you a present <laughs> you know bearing with it alone okay so we do it like that well revelation think of the word revelation or think of the word revealing which is what revelation is about something that's going to be revealed you know if somebody said oh, i don't know i had a real revelation that means suddenly they've seen something or something's opened up now this is how revelation opens in the book itself let me just say there are notes which i which i've done uh, well actually i'm just going to do the last one over this weekend so if you do want notes would you come and see me and I'll make a note, well, I'll make a list of, you know, how many notes we need to print up. And then we'll print them. But, now, I'm not getting into anybody here. I'll tell you now, I know, because over my years, you know, I've been a Christian and, and doing Bible studies. It starts with, with a, a great rush. And then it'll wrinkle down a little bit, you know, and then you'll get the hardcore. So think about it if you do want the notes 
and, you, and you're going to use them, let me know and then we'll print them up for you. Is that okay? <laughs> Lovely. Right. <coughs> Revelation chapter 1. Tonight, if we can get through the first chapter only and see if we can open up. Whose is that? That's not mine. And see if we can open up, you know, uh, what we're going to be looking at. All right. So, in our Bibles, now, it used to be when I first started going to church, there were two translations. There was the King James Version Bible, or you got the Revised Standard Version Bible. Now, you can get the Black Country Bible, (laughs) you know, and and anything else in between. And I tell you this, and it really did happen, I shouldn't tell you, but I will, about translations. We've got friends in America. They lived in Indiana at the time. And um, uh, Dave, my friend, he worked at a, a plant where they, his job was to offload wagons as they came in on the railway and he'd got a he'd got a sort of group of fellas you know they all worked like us taking stuff off the off the uh, off the of the trucks and this uh, this one fella dave was telling me nice chap you know avid christian love the lord and uh, he was talking to dave one day and he said to dave what do you think about all these different bibles he said you know, he's talking about translation Bibles. And he said, do you know, I only use the King James Version because that's the one Jesus used. <laughs> and that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. All right, so if you've got the Living Bible here tonight with you, you know, kind of tailor, it's a paraphrase. In other words, it's sort of making the sentences or the, or the paragraphs into modern English. So it's not really a study Bible. Uh, I use it, you know, if I see something in the scriptures which is a little bit inside out and back to front, I go to the Living Bible to see how they paraphrase it. So it's good in that way. But really, if it's a study Bible, it, it, it's not so good. Uh, it's always been the King James Version which, of course, is, is a fantastic translation. But they've done the new King James Version, which cuts out the these, the thys, and the those, you know. Um, so if you've got the new King James Version, you know, bring that one along, because sometimes we may look at a word, and, and it, it, you know, it, it sort of it gives the meaning for the context that we're looking at. So... Revelation. Uh, Start with the first verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ, and it is Jesus Christ, in this first chapter, there's nothing about prophecy but telling John that he's going to see things for the future. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Well, we can include ourselves in this. Now, further on in this chapter, you'll see that John was told to write to the seven churches in Asia. 
There, it was Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And if you look on the map, it's amazing really, they're all very close together. They're in Turkey, places in Turkey. I mean, some of them have disappeared now. Smyrna in the Bible now is Izmir, which is still there in Turkey. But some of them have disappeared. I mean, they, they probably have towns there or whatever, you know, but changed names. But if you look, they're in a very, very close circle. And just off the Mediterranean coast and down the bottom is Ephesus. Now, you know about Ephesus because there's a book in the Bible you know, to Ephesus. And then above that is Smyrna, above that is Pergamos, and then you just cross over a little bit, go turn to the right, travel east, just a little way there, and you get Thyatira, then come down Sardis, then Philadelphia, and then Laodicea. Now, if John was told to write to those seven churches, well, that's only a little group of people. But by this time, because you're looking at the end of the first century, there were churches all over Turkey. So why were these seven churches chosen to have a message? Well, it's because there was something in each of those seven churches which Jesus wanted to point out. Some good, some bad. But that will be in like session two. And I'll show you something really amazing in session two about those seven churches. But here, when he says about his servants, even though this was a revelation to those seven churches, because it's scripture, now it's open for us and has been for 2,000 years. But remember this, at this time, at the end of the first century, it, they say it was about 96 AD, and at that time, Rome was the power. And they didn't like Christians because Christians, while well, they were subversive, they, they were concerned about Christians because any other of the religions, there were loads of religions, but they didn't mind Rome so they could incorporate Rome within what they believed. But Christians, they wouldn't accept that Caesar was a god to be worshipped. You know, there was only one God. And that to the Romans could really, you know, start to sow seeds of, of re rebellion wherever these Christians met and they were concerned about it. So the Christians came in for some real hard trials by the Romans. Most of you know, of course, about the situation, the persecutions that they had. In 64 AD, Nero came to power, and Nero was a madman, and he didn't care about Christians at all. In fact, he used them as an excuse, <coughs> you know, so as he could get his way. And the Christians came in for a very, very hard time under Nero. So with the translations, like we say, and, and, and chapter one of Revelation, which we're looking at, now... Why would we choose this book, Revelation? It's been talked about, argued over, and caused splits with people all down through the church age. All the people have got 
you know, a particular view. And it appears the first person who tells, you know, somebody else about what they, what revelation is, then that person says, well, that's it. And then somebody comes along with something else. They say, no, no, oh, no, that's it. I was al I've already been told, you know. But that's silly. That's a closed mind. Now, I'm ready to accept in Revelation, I think I've got a grasp of it. Nobody knows the full extent of it, but I think I've got the grasp of it. But I'd be foolish if my mind wasn't open to hear what anybody else would say. So they say if you get four theologians and put them in a room and ask them to tell you, you know, to work out about Revelation, well, I've come out with five different interpretations, four theologians and five different th interpretations. And it literally, you know, th that would happen with them. They put names to these sorts of theories that people have had about Revelation. You know, there's people who believe in what they call preterist. Well, that's preterist. It's all done. I say this easy. You know, this is Hockley Birmingham speaking, okay? You either believe it's done, it's being done, or it will be done. And that's Revelation, so you can go home now. <laughs> All right. Now, really, with Revelation, it is, it's in the past, it's at the moment, and it's in the future. But you've got to sort that out within the book. And then, reading down from verse 2, Now John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw, the only book in the Bible which has got this promise, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near grace to you oh john to the seven churches which are in asia grace to you peace from him who is who was and who is to come you see what i tell you there you see in revelation that's what he keeps saying you know it's it's been done it's being done and it's going to be done so <coughs> who was and is and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Isn't that lovely? Hymns that have been written about that. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Never lose, you know, the fact tonight that this is all about Jesus. All about Jesus. He wants us to know, be sure, we're standing on a sure foundation. Everything else is rocky and shaking apart. But we've got something which is sure beneath our feet. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, verse 7. Even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last words of the Greek alphabet. And so he's, what Jesus is really saying here, I'm the first, I'm the last. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You know, this is amazing, this first chapter, isn't it? That's the salutation that John has given from verses 1 to 8. Now, verse 9, he starts to tell you, you know, what this is all about. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's amazing, you know. I mean, it's way above my past. But the Lord's Day, they were thinking about people who thought Christianity was a Jewish religion, so Saturday was the Sabbath. But the Lord's Day was the day on which he was raised from the dead. And Paul continuously told people wherever he went that when you meet together on the Lord's Day, Paul said, he talked to the Corinthians about meeting on the Lord's Day and taking a collection, you see. So don't get confused with seven-day Adventism. You know, lovely, lovely people, love the Lord, but they put themselves under bondage. No, the Lord's Day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, so, and it was saying, I am the um, uh, Alpha and Omega, <coughs> the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book. Send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To those seven churches I told you about, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Tartar, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. <coughs> then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Now if you just stopped on that, you know, and you thought about that, if your Bible reading for a day was just those few verses there, I looked to see who was talking to me. And then he described, you know, who he saw. Of course, he's talking about the Lord, about Jesus. You know, and a description like that, you think, wow, that's marvellous. People who are in heaven now are seeing that. You know, absolutely marvellous. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, He said to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, I am he who lives, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of, of Hades, that's death, uh, 
Hades and of death, write the things which you, which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Now, in verse 19 is the key to Revelation. People don't see it, they read it and then rush on. But that is the key to Revelation. Write the things which you have seen, that's in the past. And John, he was a young man when he was with the band of disciples. He walked with Jesus. Now, in the year 96 AD, all the other disciples had died. But John, he was still alive. He was an old man now at this time. He was the bishop at the church in Ephesus. Then the Romans came and took him and put him on Patmos, like, you know, a prison island. Um, and then he was released and he went back to Ephesus. So, you know, while he was on Patmos, he had this revelation. But John, he was the, an elderly man at this point. So he'd seen, he'd walked with Jesus and in his epistles, he writes, I handled the word of life. He, he, he was with Jesus and he handled the word of life. So what you've seen and then what you see and then what will be. In that verse 19, read it again. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are, that's things now, and the things which will take place after this. We'll just finish down the, the chapter and then we'll talk about it. In verse 20, when at the beginning we started reading, uh, is Jesus, uh, John said that Jesus told him that these things are signified. They're signs. You can't be told exactly. You're not going to read like, you know, Little Women or Wuthering Nights. You know, it's not a novel. It isn't. But they're signs. And in Revelation, it's a book where you've got to be a code breaker. You say a code breaker. And the keys are there if you look for them. In verse 20 here, we've already read about Jesus standing in the, in the midst of these seven lampstands and in his hand the stars of the seven churches. Well, what are the lampstands? And what are the stars? Well, in verse 20 here, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So that's obviously no argument about when, when John saw Jesus. Uh, so the signs, what Jesus spoke about, can be interpreted quite accurately. But we've got to find them uh, within the scriptures. Now, the thing is, if what we believe Jesus is coming again, well, why didn't he tell us the date? You know, like October the 8th, 2022. So don't buy any Christmas cards, you know, that type of thing. But... If he did that, well, that would be foolish. 
Because for 2,000 years, people say, oh, I'm all right, I'll live the life of Riley. And then, when I get ill, you know, I'll uh, sort of try to get myself right with God. Well, no, not at all. The scriptures themselves tell you, tells us that if we keep this hope within us, that Jesus is coming again, then it purifies us. I mean, who wouldn't? If Jesus is coming back tonight at 10 o'clock, I've got some catching up to do, I tell you, you know, about <laughs> praying and putting things, putting things. Haven't we all with that? So what Revelation is going to tell us is events that are going to happen on the earth, but in signs. And we'll, we'll be seeing those signs as we continue uh, with the study. But it can't tell you, or it won't tell you, the actual time. See? No one knows the time. No one knows the time. Uh, later on in the studies, I'm going to mention to you now, in America, a chap named Miller, he thought he'd worked out, <coughs> you know, by the prophecies. There's a backbone of prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 called the 70 weeks. And, and he, this Miller, he thought, I've worked that out. And do you know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to return on October the 24th this year, 1874, I think he said it was. So very soon, he got a great amount of people who gathered to him. So on that day, and this literally happened in America, they all went up high on a hill and they were waiting for the Lord to come. Well, of course, midnight came and went, and they called it the day of great disappointment. <laughs> so Miller faded into obscurity. Now, in all fairness, he was, was a nice fella, was Miller. He was okay. He really did think that. But we know that Jesus himself said that no man knows the time or the day or the hour. You know, that's what it's all about. Many years ago, I was a very young Christian, and the church I went to down in Hockley, on a weekend, on a Saturday night, they had a Saturday night meeting. Simon turned up one Saturday night, and we were going to put him out, but we kept him in too. Anyway, we had different speakers on every Saturday night. And the one fella who used to come, sort of like once a year, his name was Jack Bowen. He got a lovely Irish lilt, a bit stronger than what Simon's got. And it was lovely to listen to him. But what I liked about him is he came from Wensbury and he worked in the steel mill. And he was only a little fella. And he used to come to church on a moped. <laughs> Don't talk to me. On a moped. But he got something about him. His face was radiant. I never saw him without his face looking like a red apple, you know. He's just red and shiny and brown. Shining. And... Um, he said to us one time, and he stuck with me. Remember, I was a young convert. So he stuck with me. He said, uh, <coughs> I went to a boys' school, and in Ireland, he said, they were pretty strict. And uh, he said, uh, we, we'd, we'd get in the classroom, and, you know, he said, it, it was like bedlam. You know, kids on desks, things being thrown all over the place, and whatever. And he said, regularly, the door would suddenly burst open. The teacher would rush in and say, you, 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 
Soon be afterwards, say, all these who were playing up and helped them with the stick. And Jack was saying, um, you know, about those days. But he said, there was one teacher, when he started walking down the corridor, he'd whistle. <laughs> and the, the kids would know, the lads would know, oh, he's on his way. So everything settled down. And when it was all like mayhem, within about five seconds, it was all back to normal again. They were sitting down and the teacher would open the door and walk in. Now he did that, the teacher did that, Jack was telling us, to announce his arrival so he wouldn't have to beat the kids. Now I think that's a lovely story. But what Jack said, and God loves us that much, he'll whistle as he walks down the corridor. <laughs> Great. So with Revelation, you know, we don't know the date or the time, but the signs are going to be there. Jesus spoke about the signs of the times when he was on Mount Olivet. He said to the disciples, you know, the disciples said, wow, this temple now that Herod's built is absolutely fantastic. And I said to Jesus, don't you think it's fantastic? And Jesus said, oh, yeah, he said, but the days are coming when one stone won't be standing on another. Well, to a Jew, you know, that meant disaster. Or the end of the world. And so they sort of mumbled between themselves as they walked out of Jerusalem up onto Olivet and they sat down and they turned to Jesus and said, well tell us Jesus what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You know, telling us that the temple's going to be thrown down. And then in the three Gospels, Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21, Jesus told them all the signs that would be on the earth before he returned, the whistling of God down the corridor. Now, we may not know the time, but God is not hard on us. He will always send a witness before. He gives people a chance. So the signs of the times, as they are called, are in the scriptures to warn us, to be aware. And many of those signs have been in so many generations through the church age. People have thought, you know, this must be the coming of the Lord. In my day, we saw Henry Kissinger, and he was like the American who, who, who was the next top politician to the, to the president, and, and he went round the world speaking peace. Of course, you all said, He's the Antichrist. <laughs> and then he died, so he's not the Antichrist. Yeah. In the Second World War, it was Hitler. Hitler! Well, same thing happened. Mussolini, and so forth. The Pope, you know, all these people. No, 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 no. Really, you've got to take what Jesus said and look at it as a whole. But what he did say is when you see the fig tree, starting to blossom and shoot forth his branches then you know that the time is near he said and the fig tree one of the symbols is the Israeli nation Israel so when Israel become a nation again and you see them beginning to prosper then you know the time is very near on May the 14th 1948 
Israel declared itself a nation, David Ben-Gurion. And then in June 1967, um, the Arabs in the north, the Syrians in the north of Israel, the Egyptians in the south, they attacked Israel. Now Jordan on the east, they stayed neutral, but they wouldn't go into it. So Israel now was an infant nation. And Golda Meir, the lady, she was the Prime Minister of, of Israel. Now, to the west was the Mediterranean Sea, so Israel was locked between the sea and Jordan, Syria attacking from the top, and Egypt attacking from the bottom. And in six days, now, Israel had a small army, but they were outnumbered 40 to 1. So if you want Israeli, there were 40 of the Arab nations who were attacking them. And the Americans, where a lot of Jews are in America, who send money to this infant nation of Israel, you see, well, they started to get very uppity, and America was watching, but they couldn't intervene. Israel was on its own. And Golda Meir said the words, if it comes to the point where our backs are on the Mediterranean, we will not, never again, <coughs> never again, she said, would we go into the death camps. And she said, we would use the ultimate weapon. Well, the world, you know, took a deep breath, and what the ultimate weapon was, of course, was the nuclear bomb, which nobody knew Israel had got, but, you know, secretly America had done that. And they had that. So, now, I was a young Christian at the time, and I was working in a tall room in town in Birmingham. And I was really on fire for the Lord, you know. I mean, like I said, I really took to the Bible. I didn't know anything about the Bible, but I took to the Bible avidly. And I was looking at the signs of the times. And our tall room was up on the first floor. It was a big tall room. Uh, and they got windows all the way along, see. And I kept looking out the window, believing the Lord was <laughs> going to come. <laughs> Within, within, you know, the time when Israel was being attacked, I really did believe that the Lord was going to come back again within that time because Israel were going to be... But six days, you know, from when Syria attacked and Egypt, within six days, Israel had taken all of the Sinai Peninsula all the way down, and they had to be told to stop and not go into Cairo, into Egypt, to Cairo, because it would destabilise that, that part of the world. And in the north, while the, the army was strong there, and they were armed by Russia, and they, Israel pushed Syria back, and they took what was called the Golan Heights, which are the top of the hill, you know, anybody who takes the highest ground in warfare is the one who's the dominant one. Well, Israel took the Golan Heights and they had to be told to stop because if they went any further into Syria, what Damascus was on the scene, well, again, it would destabilise everything. So nobody could give the answer for why in six days Israel could do what they did. What it was, wasn't the fighting power 
of Israel, God was at work in Israel, this fig tree, which is beginning to blossom. We had a young fella turn up at, uh, at Offaly Church, to about 1969, I think, really. Uh, of course, all the girls, you know, they went after him, a tall fella, blonde hair, you know. And his mum and dad were missionaries in the Middle East. And uh, <coughs> he'd rebelled a bit. And he, he'd gone along the North African coast and been with the drug runners, you know, here. Mum and dad despaired of him. What was his name, Sam? Can't remember, Ken. Was it Douglas? Douglas, something like that. Anyway, <coughs> he was a great fellow. I mean, I took to him. You know, I was absolutely marvellous. We hadn't gone being married. I said, I'll come to our house, you know, and brought the young people up, and, and he was there as well. Sat there talking about his mum and dad being in Israel, and he went back, and he wanted to join the Israeli army, but he was 17, and he was too young, you see. But he had heard these stories from the Israeli army that down in the south, the 8th Army of the Egyptians were getting ready to attack Israel. And it was night, and night in the desert, you know, it's cold. But at night time, sound carries part further at night time. And they'd got Israel, had got a forward reconnaissance who were waiting to hear when the 8th Army started to advance, Israel were going to send reinforcements, but what they were trying to do, Israel, was keep the main army in the north, because the main army really had to fight Syria. But if and when Egypt started moving forward, they would send reinforcements, you see. So this forward reconnaissance unit were there, it was nice, and suddenly they heard all the motor start up the tanks, armour personnel carriers, all of the sounds of the normal thing when the army starts. So they sent through the message, it's on, it's on. <coughs> so Israel were preparing. But before they sent the reinforcements, the reconnaissance phoned them back and said, there's something happening, is it? then instead of the noise getting louder, it's getting quieter. And the 8th Army disappeared into the desert. So an Israeli unit went out to find out what had happened. And all they saw were helmets and, you know, sort of khaki canvas bags and stuff, left and straddled, even boots. And, and the Egyptian army had run into the desert panicking. So they went after them and they took some of the prisoners, one of them being a general, and they interrogated him and he said, well, we heard all the helicopters and the planes coming over and we saw the parachutes coming down. This is true, this is what, you know, Doug was telling us. He said, we saw the parachutes coming down and we didn't know who they were, we thought it might be the Americans, so they disappeared. Israel hadn't done any of that. That was God. And up in the north, with Syria, they were attacking, well, they, they got the, the, you know, the latest Russian tanks, you know, the T-34s or whatever they were, and they, they were coming to attack Israel. And suddenly, a host of these hornets came in amongst, and, and they stopped dead, the Syrian army did, 
and they were attacked by all these hornets. Now that was God, really, it was God in all of these things. And by those, you know, two things which really happened, Israel were able to defend themselves and even take ground. So, in our gen, well, in my generation, you know, this happened after 2,000 years in the year AD 70, Titus came with his army and he took Jerusalem. 1,100,000 of the Jews, they were crucified. They ran out of wood, so they were crucifying two to a, to a crucifix. You know, and it, the Christians said, well, Jesus said this day would come when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies. See, that's in the signs of the times. But when Titus came in AD 70, the Jews then were dispersed called the diaspora into all the world. And since AD 70, the Jews have wandered the world as a nation, you know, separated. No government, no king, no prime minister, no, no one to, in the political realm to be able to speak for the nation itself for 2,000 years. Any other nation would have disappeared you know, over 2,000 years. But Israel is special to God. And you'll see in Revelation, as we go through it, how the Jews are the centre of why Revelation is written. God's got to keep the Jews as a nation. If every Jew was killed, every Israeli was killed, you know, the word is interchangeable. Israel is the nation, the Jew is the people. You know, um, in the Old Testament, the Jews, you know, Israel... They were ten tribes in the north and two tribes stayed through in the south and they were called Jew, Judah, Judah and Reuben. But the other ten tribes, well, they called themselves Israel. And the name stuck, so you get Israel, the Jews, Israel, the Jews. You know, normally you say Israel, the nation, the Jew, the people, you know, the Jewish people. So <coughs> the Jew it would have disappeared totally if it had been any other nation. But if every Jew was killed, then the devil's won. Because God can't complete his promises. He can't complete the word of God and all the prophecies concerning it without the Jewish nation, as you'll see. And the devil knows that. And right from when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the devil heard God say that I'll be sending a deliverer. And when the devil heard that, he knew it was the seed of the woman. And all through the Old Testament, on many occasions, you know, you read about Moses when Pharaoh wanted to kill all the, all the male children, finish off the, the line of the Jews. And many more times, Esther, in the time of the Medes and the Persians, you see, all through where they tried to destroy the Jews. Behind it all was the devil. Destroy the Jews, and he's won. And... Of course, in just before my generation was the Holocaust in the Second World War. You know, just people who were motivated by something that's evil. Well, of course, we know who that would be. But to, to have a hatred of the Jewish nation, still today, is prevalent in the world. So all the way through, they've got that. 
So with the chapter one of Revelation and reading through the chapter there, is there anything that you want to ask me? Yeah. You'd have to speak up though, because I'm a bit. Uh... Yes, there is. <laughs> oh God. From the life out of me. No, go on. From yeah. the life out of yourself. Yeah. Is there a relevance in the? I don't really know how to ask this question. If I'm honest with you, but this number seven. Yeah. This, this seven re recurs throughout the That's Bible. Right. Seventy times seven. Seventh day <coughs> rested. Seven spirits. Seven churches. Is There's the about eighteen different groups yeah. of sevens in Revelation. So you know, they're amazing, really. Oh, my, my, my sort of thoughts are, he, he, God's saying something about this seven, you know. I'm not trying to work out Jesus is coming back on the 7th of December. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. 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 In, in, in the Hebrew alphabet, there's 22 letters, and every letter has a value. You know, so the first letter being alpha, alpha, well, that's one and then you, then you go down through the alphabet and they've all got this number you see attributed to them but seven to the hebrew it means complete and perfect so the number seven or the multiple of seven when jesus said to you know his disciples uh, no you don't just forgive a person seven times but seven times 70 times seven so Anything with the number of seven in the Bible, you know, you, you look for perfect and completeness. That's a number that seven yeah. represents all right. That kind of makes sense to me now. Anything else? Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, yeah. When the Bible talks about Asia, it's the Middle East. Because that's, you know, in the in Bible days, that was the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we know Asia as a continent, don't we? You know, well, not so much a continent, but a massive country, you know, incorporating so many lands. But in Bible days, you know, that, that's, that's what it was, yes. Um, the area there in Turkey, uh, probably the biggest area was Dalmatia, you know, and... Um, Dalmatia was where a lot of the churches were, were established. But I'll tell you why those seven churches were, were chosen and what the messages to those seven churches are, you know, when we meet again, God willing, in a couple of weeks' time. But we don't labour too much tonight, but I want you to do something, if you would, for me. Now, <coughs> I've got... Oh... I've got some sheets here. Uh, I don't think I've got enough, but if you can share between two, um, just have a look at this. Have a, a minute or so, have a look at this, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I want you to do. Would you pass that along mm -hmm. and, and then pass it beyond? All right, that. There you go.
Now, you old ends and wise heads, you, uh, you can see there that there's a, well, I've got it about lug luggage labels, as if, you know, things to be, to be sent on, it's things which are moving along. Has everybody be, got something that they can look at in sharing? Is anybody without anything? Or are you okay? Thanks, Simon. What I'd, what I'd like you to do, and this is, I'm not going to I'm not going to have the sheets back. You can take them home with you. You know, there's there's no right or wrong in any of this. Believe you me, there isn't. But because Revelation is a book about events that are going to happen, then I want you, if you would, to put down how you think the events will happen. But I may have to explain a couple of them to you. All right, uh, for new Christians or you know, not the people who, who are not so sort of uh, clued up. Let me just tell you about some of the labels. I did pick a couple out. Right. A lot of us, most of us know about what the rapture means. For those who don't, the rapture means when Jesus comes again, the church is going to be taken out of the world. There's going to be a disappearance of a lot of people in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, they say that takes about, a twinkling of an eye takes about one fortieth of a second. It's going to happen and it's done. You know, you're going to be talking to the milkman and then the money will drop on the floor and you'll be gone. You see, and the, but things will be happening all over the world. So the rapture is when Jesus comes again and the church is taken out of the world. All right, so... When do you think that would happen? The other one, tribulation. Well, the Bible speaks about a time of great tribulation. Great tribulation. So that's what that means. See if you can put that, you know, where you think it belongs. Armageddon, well, it's a word that's used a lot of times. You don't need to be a Christian to hear the word Armageddon. But it is a Bible word, and it, it means the battle between evil forces and good forces at the end of a period of time. Not at the end of the world, but at the end of a period of time, there's going to be a battle, of and it's called Armageddon. The millennium, well, we all should know what a millennium is. It's a thousand years. Millie being a thousand, and then being the year, you know, it's Latin. All right, so if you can, between yourselves, talk and whatever, have you all got pens? Well, everybody who's got a shake, lovely. Well, see if you can put them down in the order that you think that the events might happen. Okay. Give you five, ten minutes to, to do that. Oh yeah, can I just say, <coughs> on the sheet, you've got my list and student list. So if you fill them in the top left hand one, you know, the my list. And then the bottom one, I'll tell you how we're gonna how we are gonna sort of go through revelation. 
Just have a couple of more minutes. Right, how are we doing? You okay? All there? If you got the first run wrong, you're going home. <laughs> Tell you that now. Right. All right. And if you disagree with me, I'm always right. <laughs> no, don't worry. Well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go through them and this is the way that we'll, you know, order the events as we see them in Revelation, how they happen. Okay, so of course the first one is number eight, isn't it? You know, the crucifixion. The second one, well, after crucifixion, the next major event, would, it's got to be the resurrection, hasn't it? You know, number 11. After the resurrection, you know, it would have to be the ascension, okay, which gives us number five. All right. Now, this is where we start to park company, <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you think happened after the ascension? Yeah, good, good, good. Top marks. Day of Pentecost, two. And then, what did you do? Yeah? Oh, you might as well go on there. <laughs> After the church age, what happens then? Now, a lot of people are going to disagree with you. Oh, I believe. I believe that's, that's right, personally. 
but you must give way to people who don't believe that you see there's lovely people in our church who believe the rapture will happen at, in the middle of the tribulation and there are those who believe it will happen at the end of the tribulation so you've got to got to be able to say oh well you know we'll see them won't we so, yes. we'll see when um, again when i was a young convert we we met a lovely couple i mean they're mixed generation up from us may and bill and they were black country people they'd do anything for you we went to the conference and paul our son was very little uh, yet at the conference for a week and when we came home you know this is black country people for you may and bill they bought us a bottle of milk and baked a cake you know they were that type of people everybody wants a may and bill for the next door neighbor but bill bill he believed he could lose his salvation you see and there are the two groups of people who believe once saved always saved and there's also a group of people who say no no you know you can lose your salvation you can well bill was one who said he said you lose yourself i wouldn't fall out with him for the world we always want a bottle of milk when you come back up all of no i wouldn't fall out with bill for the world and then years later i thought to myself you know i'm really glad i didn't argue with bill because for bill he'd got to believe that you know that he might lose his salvation because it kept him secure you see if a temptation came along he wouldn't because he'd lose his salvation you see and uh, whereas me personally i think we're saved and every day at the end of the day in the evening well i do and i think it's a good thing that we all do you keep short accounts with god and at the end of the day you just pray and say to the lord oh, I, I fell over there i really shouldn't have thought it done it said it whatever you know strengthen me help me you know now that's honest and open isn't it really so tribulation right we're there so now then we go into the realms of fantasy after tribulation come on let's hear what what you got Simon? who right what millennium right yeah oh you're all wrong <laughs> no 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 well at the end of the tribulation there's going to be a battle so but she's armageddon so armageddon comes so we're on number 12 there after armageddon Siban who wants to see Satan bound, Satan's bound. Yeah. And then he's bound for the thousand years. Sorry? Satan bound after Armageddon, yeah.
What's that uh, number four I'm looking on here? I mean, I did this and I can't... Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Number four, yeah. Yeah. And then after that, millennium. Satan is bound. So millennium is a thousand years of peace. Satan is bound. You know, but there's still going to be trouble on the world. We'll see about that. After the millennium, what do you think? There's only, there's only two left. Got to be, hasn't it? Got to be that. The final conflict. The final conflict. Now, people can get the two mixed up, you see. The final conflict is a battle. But it's the last battle. Armageddon is to bind the devil, you see, for the thousand years. So Armageddon can't be the final conflict, you see. So the final conflict. And then, of course, the white throne judgment. Right there. Did you find that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, find that interesting. Oh, you can fold them up. That five pound each before you go home. <laughs> okay. no. All right. You can have those. Is there anything that anybody has thought about? Yeah, what's the church age? You're going to be sent to the back row, you are. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Mm, very nice. I don't understand what church age is. I've never read it or know of it. Or oh, what, what is? Church age. What's the age? Church age. So this is the church age now, is it? The church age? Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, church age. Well, we're in that now. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down, the church was born. And it, it'll stay that until Jesus comes again, the rapture. Yeah. Anything? Don't don't be shy. Honestly, and true. Try to make this as you know friendly as possible. You're not in a lecture theatre. You know, I, I'm not a theologian, but I just love the Bible. You know, and for what I know, I may not be really dumb if after 55 years I hadn't got some sort of grasp. You know, I certainly don't know it all, but I got a got a, a fair grasp of the scriptures. Um, if, I, if you ask something and I don't know, maybe somebody here does. So there isn't any silly questions. Mm. Yeah? After the rapture. After the rapture. Yeah. We're jumping ahead a little bit. Jumping ahead a little bit. See, now, in the church age, it's called the day of grace. To be saved in the church age is God's love is so great 
you just call upon the name of the Lord uh, and if you're genuine and the Lord knows from your heart if you're genuine well the gospel is free eternal life is free but it costs a lot mm-hmm. you see but so this is called the day of grace when the rapture takes place now this is what I believe well the Holy Spirit is here now on the face of the earth and the Bible says it's like the waters covering the sea you see and that's a good expression because when I say my prayers at night and when we do our devotions in the morning well I haven't got God's ear only and God can't hear your prayer so he's heard mine no it's the Holy Spirit who covers the earth as the waters cover the sea and my prayer is heard exactly the same time as my friend Miles in Australia is praying and every other Christian around the world because the Holy Spirit is God and he hears every prayer so that's our day of grace but when the rapture comes the Holy Spirit is here now he came on day of Pentecost he's never left and he's preparing the church which is called the bride of Christ some people say it's the bride of Christ other people say no the bride is the new Jerusalem where we're going to go to don't matter but the Holy Spirit is preparing now from the day of Pentecost right to today every generation there have been people who have called upon the Lord their names being written in the book of life. When they die, they go to heaven. You know. But when the rapture happens, the Holy Spirit brings the bride of Christ all together and takes them. He doesn't send them. He takes them. So there's a scripture, and we'll see it later in one of the studies, where it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about a man of sin, will be revealed and when that which restrains has been taken away then he will be revealed well what's restraining the force of evil on the face of the world today is the work of the church of the Holy Spirit in yours and my life you know that's what it is we try to be Christians you know, we, no one's perfect, but we try, and that's what the Lord expects of us. But on that day, when the rapture happens, the Holy Spirit has gone, and it leaves the world without that restraining power. So now, that day of grace which we enjoy has finished. Wow. And people who want to get right with God, because there's there's ministers in the church now who think about the coming of the Lord it's all balloony you know oh, that's just, just that's, that's just figurative you know that, that's nothing and when it happens those type of people are going to suddenly going to be aware that we're wrong all the time and there's going to be a lot of them in the Old Testament when the Jews gathered the harvest if any of the harvest fell on the ground, they were forbidden to pick it up. You see, so they'd gathered all the wheat and they hadn't got combine harvesters, you know. They got blokes with, you know, 
Susan, whatever, you know, getting them all together. And some fell on the floor and I wasn't allowed to pick it up. You read the book of Ruth and it tells you about it. And that was the Levitical law so as the poor people could come into the land after the harvesters had gone on and they'd follow them and pick up that which had been dropped and it's called the gleanings. Not only with the wheat but also with the grapes. Anything which was produced, if it dropped to the ground, it had to be left for the poor of the land. So, so in the time of the tribulation, those type of people who suddenly realise they knew about it but didn't believe it, well, they're going to be the gleanings. But now the day of grace has finished and if they really want to earn their place in heaven, they've got to earn it. Nowadays, you don't need to earn your salvation. But in that day you will. And it will mean for, for all of those who want to hold a witness for Christ that they will be killed, they'll be executed in that day. They say beheading, you know, or whether it would be beheading or not, you know, whether it was all right, was it? So that is what will happen. But don't worry about, you know, sort of not being able to live a perfect life. I'll tell you something now which I'm not proud of, really. But, um, see, I was brought up in a house where we hadn't even got a Bible. You know, we were not non-believers. I think our mum and dad believed in God. Dad had been a Catholic and our mum a Protestant, you know, but nobody went to church. We hadn't even got a Bible in the house. So... I joined the army when I was a young lad. I brought my apprenticeship and joined the army. And, um, and then I sort of came out of the army. Now, I was rough and ready. I wasn't, I wasn't nasty. Yeah, well, yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was I, I was nasty when I'd had a drink, you know, but I was all right when I hadn't. And, um, and I started going to church and my life changed. Immediately, my life changed. I stopped drinking, smoking, swearing, you know, all three. And I didn't have to work at it, it just stopped. And to this day, I have never drunk, smoked, or swore, you know, to this day. Uh, and that's a miracle, because I've got two brothers and they do all three, you know. <laughs> um, so I was trying my hardest. Now, I knew that I'd got to develop as a Christian, but I was still rough around the edges. And I'd only been a Christian a year or so, and I went to work in that tall room I told you about, Thomas Edmund Stokes in Derry's End. And a lot of blokes in there, you know, there were apprentices and there were all skilled men there. I was just a toolmaker improver because I'd broken the apprenticeship. But I was a big fella, and I'd, I'd been working, I'd got a job when I came out of the army, digging roads, laying gas mains, you know, so. I was pretty fit, and uh, I would have been about this high, just a quarter of an inch short of six foot, so I, I could hold myself all right. And in this tall room, there was a bloke there. Everybody hated him. Tell you his first name, Dave. Any Daves here tonight? <laughs> Good. Well, Dave. He was the sort of fellow, and this is what he did. The law came in that you've got to have at least two, two or a sixteenth of an inch tread on your tyres, you know. He only went out into the car park and he went around all the cars and he found a car with them all tired and he phoned the police, <laughs> you know, this day. And that was the type of fellow he was. 
He got on the bus and paid his fare, and the bus conductor told him. They got bus conductors in those days. The bus conductor told him, you've got to pay again because he'd gone past the stage. And he wouldn't. And he almost got that bus conductor the sack. He did everything he could to get that bus conductor. Nobody liked that, Dave. See. Well, I was on this machine, and I got an apprentice with me, and I was showing him a job. Next thing I knew, Dave was standing next to me. See, you're doing that wrong. I said, I oh, know. Go away. And, and he stood there and he said again, you know, you're doing it wrong. I said, go away. Sent back again. Well, he said it the third time and that was it. And I was a Christian and I was trying to be a witness. On this machine, which was my machine, I got gospel tracks <laughs> stuck on the, on the machine. But I turned round and I hit Dave full in the face. He went over. This is a Christian trying to be a witnesser and it fell over and in those days you waited for them to get up again before you hit them again you see, so, so I was waiting for him to get up and the old fella on the lathes he came across and he put his <laughs> I love this chap, George put his hand on my shoulder he said Vic, he said, he's not worth it that's what he said and he stopped me and then I went on and I, oh. you know, I tried to be a Christian in that place and because I was rough around the edges see, it happens doesn't it it happens, but I'll tell you something else that happened, it had got to be 20 years later and I was asked to go and speak at the church in Maudsley Green and I went to speak at this church, yeah you know what's coming (laughs) went to speak at the church in Maudsley Green and after I'd finished at the end of the meeting, this young lad came up and he said um are you the Vic Nichols that worked at Adam Stokes? I said, yeah, that's right. He said, oh, you know my dad. <laughs> uh, oh, that's great, you know, I can meet somebody from the past. It was this bloke, Dave. <laughs> Dave had told his son about this mad Christian, you see, who belted him. Well, I don't know where it's all he was belted, but about this mad Christian. So I said to the lad, you know, because I'd always wanted to put it right, you see. Do you mind if you give me your phone number and I'll, I'll phone your dad when I get home? So he gave me the phone number and as soon as I got home, I told Sandra, you know, what well, happened. So I phoned and Dave picked up the phone and I was waiting for him to say, waiting for him to say, you shouldn't have done that. And then that was the opening for me to say, Dave, I, yeah, I really have to apologise. I'm so sorry, you see. I wanted to do that, but he kept avoiding it. And I didn't want to bring it up because I thought, <laughs> well, if I bring it up, you see, it embarrasses him. So we ended the phone call. He asked me what I was doing. I said, what are you doing? You know, that was it. And we put the phone down. But at least I was waiting for the opportunity. I would have said, sorry, <laughs> if you gave me the opportunity. But what I tell you about that is, right, that, you know, we do things that we really don't want to do, Romans chapter 6, yeah. 7 and 8, you know, and it's called the old man, it's, that's that old nature, it never leaves us, and we're always warring. Now, if you feed your body right, you know, you, you strengthen it, and also your spirit, you see, Bible study, unfortunately, in churches, they don't do it anymore, very, very few churches do Bible study, 
This is amazing for me. It's really, really amazing for me. It's lovely. Great that you're here tonight. I love it. But when we study the Bible or talk about the Bible, you're feeding your spirit. And when temptation comes, whichever is stronger, the old man or the spirit, you know, well, the stronger one is going to win, isn't it? So really, that's about soul food, soul food. The scriptures, you know, teaching them. Look, it's uh, 20 to 9. If you, if you really want to pack up now, you certainly can. Would you, if you want the, the, um, the notes, would you just come and say, give us the notes, and I'll just put, put the, you know, how many want it, all right. Or if you put your hand up, I'll, I'll count quickly. Do you want the notes? I think I think I'll do I'll do twenty-five. All right, yeah, I'll do, do twenty-five, all right. That's lovely. Let me just pray, would you? And then um, you know, safe journey home for you all. All right. Father, we thank you for the opportunity tonight. Lord, to speak about things which are very dear to our heart. Lord, we love you. We want to do that which is right. And Lord, you know our lives, our hearts. And you love us, Lord, in spite of ourselves. And we thank you for that. Lord, when we think about the things we talked about tonight, things which were, things which are, and things which are to be, Lord, we know that we can trust completely your word. And we pray the Lord, the seed that's sown tonight will find fertile ground, take root, bring forth fruit, hundredfold. Thank you, Lord. Part us with your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.